A-B-A Resort. West Canyon High Welcome, everybody, to the ABA Wizard podcast. We have Jessica Buckley on our show today to discuss her recent study published in the Journal of Applied Behavior Analysis. Uh, and that study is titled Teaching Students with Autism Spectrum Disorder to Tolerate Haircutting. That's right. We're going to be talking about haircutting today. That's a first for me. Um, and I'd like to give a little intro to Jessica. Uh, she received her undergraduate degree from St. Anselm College, where she studied psychology. And her master's is in education from Endicott College, where she studied applied behavior analysis and autism. Uh, currently, she works for Melmark, New England, a small nonprofit school for individuals with autism and other developmental disabilities, and has been employed there for just over seven years. Uh, and her current role is program coordinator at a residential home for eight individuals. Um, ages, you know, 14 to 21. So, um, Jessica, thank you so much for being willing to come and chat with us today. Yes, of course. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's really our pleasure to have you on. Um, and you know, I'm curious, haircutting, this isn't something that we typically see in Java. Uh, so what, uh, what's the story behind this? What, what led you to be interested in studying tolerating haircutting? Yeah, so as you mentioned in my current role, I manage a home for kids with autism. So a lot of my responsibility is figuring out ways for them to either complete or tolerate the completion of self-care tasks. So they're um, not, it's not like you're going into their home providing services. No. They're in, you know, a, a residential home and, and you are helping oversee every aspect of their life. Correct. Um, yeah, wow. so you you do see a lot about like toothbrushing or hand washing or nail clipping, um, yes. but hair cutting is is just as important as those kind of basic hygiene skills, and also relates very much overall to just social appearance. Um, so we found it to be a pretty uh, significant issue, and many of my students do have a lot of difficulty, um, you know, tolerating hair cutting. So it's something that we wanted to look at. That's really cool. I think I think a lot of um, a lot of parents and practitioners are probably like they're hearing this and they're like, yeah, why hasn't this been addressed more in in the literature? So I'm I'm glad that you were able to address it. Um, so for this specific study, what was the research question? What were you looking at? What were you trying to figure out? Um, so as you said, there's not a lot of research out there on hair cutting specifically. Uh, so we kind of went back to more the fundamentals of everything. Um, and as I said, we have had success in the past with building up toleration to other self-care tasks through shaping programs or reinforcement procedures and that type of stuff. However, you do read a lot about kind of more escape extinction um, yeah. being built in there. And that's more so because you can't really not complete those daily routines. So you have to get through it one way or another. Um, wow. However, with an implement like hair clippers, it becomes a little bit more unsafe to kind of go down that route. Um, so just just knowing all those things, we really wanted to see if there was um, a way to teach hair cutting with some of those more positive procedures in place. Um, so that's, that's where we got started. That's so interesting. Yeah, I, I didn't really think about how 
um, you know, escape extinction might not be safe for, for haircutting. And so like, yeah, let's try some other strategies here. So, um, so let's talk about, uh, those strategies for a little bit in this study. What, uh, let's discuss the, the method, the procedures here. So walk me through that. What was the intervention that you were looking at? Yeah, so the research was conducted with two male participants um, within the group home. So Josh was age 16 and Aiden was 17. Um, both individuals have a history of engaging in challenging behavior, um, things like aggression, self-injury, property destruction. Um, and these behaviors were very true during haircutting as well. Although in the article, we don't report on the behavior specifically during haircuts. I was present for all of their haircuts. So I do think it's important to emphasize just the severity of what we saw as far as challenging behaviors go yeah. for them. Um, so Josh specifically, he would have high intensity, high frequency aggression. Um, it often took up to four to five people to safely maintain him during a haircut. Oh my um, goodness. Just on top of that, um, you know, the screaming, crying, just very clearly upset during the whole process. So it wasn't fun for him. It wasn't fun for us to try to get through. Um, and then Aiden very similarly had challenging behaviors. His was more so self-injury. Um, sometimes he became aggressive, but not as much as Josh. And then he also had some physiological responding. So he would start sweating, um, get like red blotchy skin. He would cry throughout. He would ask to be all oh, done. So no. just really aversive oh, for, for both of them. And yeah, difficult for us to implement seeing all of that. Um, wow. So, so who was, sorry to interrupt. Who was, no problem. who was, uh, cutting the hair? When I first started there, it was not me. However, I did see them getting haircuts a few times. Oftentimes it was done, uh, at their, in their day placement. So in their school setting, um, through a clinical team there. Um, however, one of those members actually left and then we were kind of tasked with still, getting their haircut. So that's when I became more involved in the process. So it's not like you were taking them out to like in the community to a local like haircutting place. It was in the home, a staff or, you know, someone from their team was there and, and cutting their hair. Is that right? Yes. Oh, okay. All right. So Aiden more specifically had challenging behavior. As soon as he even saw hair clippers, he would ask to be all done. He would try to run out of the room. He started having self-injury. Um, Josh was a little bit more tolerant of their presence. Um, but as soon as the clippers came towards his head, he again had that escape behavior. Um, so because of that, a baseline did look a little different for each of them during baseline Aiden, uh, he was just expected to tolerate the clippers on the counter in front of him. They weren't even turned on. Um, so they just were out within his sight. And then for Josh, the clippers were brought towards his head and he was expected to tolerate them there. In looking at the grass, we did see some improvement with Aiden during baseline. I think because he realized that the clippers were going to stay on the counter and not be used um, to cut his hair. And then for Josh, he hardly ever successfully tolerated the clippers on his head, even for a second. Um, so from there, we developed a graduated exposure hierarchy uh, is kind of what we titled it, um, specific to each of them. Um, so Aiden started just by tolerating the clippers turned off on the counter for one minute in front of him. And Josh started by tolerating the clippers on his head for one second. Um, sessions were run daily uh, with different caretakers. So it wasn't just me, it was all of the um, direct care staff within the house uh, could run the sessions. And each of the boys were able to pick out an edible item to earn if they successfully responded um, to the step they were on. So how did they how did they 
pick those reinforcers? We run um, parent stimulus preference assessments. So we did a specific one for this and then found out things that they liked through that. And just in our history of working with them for so long, we kind of know they're, they're highly oh, yeah. preferred things. So, yeah. yeah. And so in the baseline, uh, you were saying that with, you, you ran the baseline a little bit different for each of them. Uh, with Aiden, it was like, there was zero threat of haircutting. Is that right? You had, you know, the hair, the, the clippers were on the table and to clarify all of the, all the haircutting was done with clippers. Is that right? It wasn't like Correct. scissors. Correct. Yes. Okay. Clippers. Okay. Got it. Um, and so, yeah, then the sessions I'm looking at the graph here, uh, you had a lot of sessions. We're talking yeah. like over 200 sessions. Um, yes. I'm, I'm assuming that's not like one per day. Right. Um, it was one per day. Uh, the reason for this is that I actually wrote uh, these this tolerance program as part of their individualized education plan. So in Massachusetts, which is where we're located, um, we have one year to work on certain goals. So I'd written in um, toleration to hair cutting within that plan. So that's why our data does extend, uh, like you said, upwards of like 200 sessions or so. Holy cow. So yeah. <laughs> it was one session per day. Correct. Oh my goodness. Yep. That's, that's very impressive. And for those, uh, listening right now, uh, if you are board certified, uh, you are able to go onto the BACB portal, uh, and search for this Java article, um, open it up and look at figure one, because this is, I, I love looking at this graph. This is very impressive. And even more impressive knowing that this was taking um, up, you know, the, the better part of a year uh, to to be conducting. So that's that's very impressive. Um, and so, yeah, go over the graduated exposure hierarchies. Yeah. What is that? What did that look like? So it's basically just sequential steps that we followed. It almost looks like a changing criterion design. Yeah, it's very similar. And we kind of went back and forth on whether it actually truly fit that definition. Hmm. Um, but yes, it's very similar if you thought about it in that context. So for each of them, it was different. As I stated, um, for Josh, he started with the hair clippers turned on um, in contact with his hair for one second. And then I do just want to clarify that we had in the article, it also talks about a long guard on the clipper. So that just means that there was a guard on the clipper that if the clipper touched his hair, it wouldn't actually clip the hair, but everything else was present. So it was touching his skin, the vibration was there, the noise was there, the movement was there. But however, when you start with the duration as short as one second, you don't want to have just one little piece of their hair clipped and the rest not. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm just picturing <laughs> them like with, you know, partial haircuts for a year. <laughs> yes, like a patch a day for a year. <laughs> Um, so Josh's graduate exposure hierarchy, he keeps that long guard on the whole time. So his hair wasn't actually clipped, um, during these sessions. Um, and then he goes up to two seconds, three seconds, um, and then all the way up to a minute. He was able to get at a bull reinforcement for responding correctly during these sessions, but his terminal criteria actually, uh, we faded the edible reinforcement out and he did great with that. Aiden's gradual exposure hierarchy looks a little bit different and is definitely more unique to him just based off things that he did during previous haircuts. Um, so like I said, he started with just the clippers turned off on the counter in front of him. Um, and we set it at a minute because within his baseline data, he did get upwards of like 50, 52 seconds or so. Yeah. Um, 
So we started at a minute. From there, the clippers stayed on the counter, but we turned them on. And again, you had to tolerate it for a minute in front of him. I Looking at the first, uh, you know, almost half of the sessions, he was just kind of plateaued there at uh, one minute. So, yeah, he actually, though, even though it doesn't look like progress, he was making progress. Um, So if you look at that first section there, it's one minute, but the clippers were turned off. And then once he goes into the second step, it's one minute, but the clippers were turned on. So his exposure was more so to the clippers and then the clippers on his head versus increasing the duration which he tolerated it which is what josh's graph um, reflects is an increased duration yeah that makes so much sense yeah so Aiden's is more the increased exposure or contact to the clipper um, because he kind of struggled a bit more with that than josh did got it interestingly when we previously would try to cut Aiden's hair, he would put himself onto the ground. Um, for people listening at home, I think if you think of those videos you see of barbers cutting kids with autism's hair in a barbershop, and sometimes they are laying on the ground and the kid has their iPad, um, that kind of whole setup is very similar to what we were doing with Aiden. So we started with him being able to go on the ground because he preferred it. Um, so he would kneel down and put a mat under his head just to kind of give him some cushion there, and that's how we started cutting his hair. And then we were able to fade him up to be sitting in a chair and then that's when we started increasing his duration once we got him in kind of that ideal situation of being able to sit upright while someone's cutting your hair so then we increased his toleration of the duration from there Um, and again his terminal set was 300 seconds so that's five minutes if I'm doing that math correctly yeah and no edible reinforcement for him either and he was able to meet that terminal criteria as well yeah once you started working on the duration with Aiden like yeah. he made a lot of progress yeah. really quick. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And then um, after you you even did some, some follow-up probes, didn't you? We did. We have data um, two, four, and six months out. Um, so that's after uh, we had stopped the daily toleration sessions. Um, so we no longer were getting that exposure. And then at two months, four months, and six months, they both tolerated full haircuts. Aiden actually... If you remember, he's the one who had that kind of physiological responding. So the reddened yeah. skin, the sweating. He's actually laughing throughout his haircuts now, and he's requesting to have his haircut. Oh, my um, so goodness. Just a huge change in his what? response to it, his behavioral profile. Yeah, it's really, it's it's phenomenal. Could he go out in the community and get a haircut at like a so barbershop or something? That's what we're thinking for next steps. Um, unfortunately, right now in Massachusetts, as I'm sure with many of you, the barbershops are not open. Um, <laughs> yeah, now's not a good plans. time to try that. <laughs> yeah. We had plans to get both of them out there, actually, and just see if we were able to uh, generalize that to that setting. Because ideally, once I mean they age out from us and go into adult services, we would like that to be part of their routine and not something that's tasked to their caregivers. So, Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, we talked a lot about Aiden. Uh, was there more with Josh's? Cause I know both of those interventions were quite unique. So what was different with Josh's than Aiden's? Yeah. So Josh more so was just the increase in duration. So like I said, he had started at one second from there, we just went up to two seconds. So very, very small intervals with successful behavior up to three, four or five seconds. Then we started spreading it out a little bit and then we kept him at a minute. 
because we just thought that was enough for him to get through and we were able to go over every area of his head he it's not in the article but he does show some sensitivity on the upper left part of his scalp for whatever reason and that's with like hair wetting hair washing uh, hair cutting so uh, we're not really sure what that's about so we wanted to make sure we at least were encompassing that really sensitive area for him in all of the sessions and within one minute we were able to do that got it so yeah we've talked a lot about the procedures here we even talked about the results uh, mm -hmm. and it's amazing like over the course of a year you've changed these individuals lives to be able to to get haircuts now so that's really impressive i guess where i want to go from here is uh what does this mean for everybody else what does this mean for the practitioner you know that maybe they have a client struggling with this what how can we apply this to our own caseloads yeah so as you said uh for behavior analysts working with children i'd say it's probably not uncommon to experience some resistance or challenging behavior related to completing these types of self-care tasks. I think it does become difficult to figure out how to safely teach them, uh, as we stated before, just because you can't avoid it, you can't put it off, you can't have them not do it. So that's where it gets a little tricky. Yeah, I, uh, I'm looking at this as most of us are familiar with some antecedent interventions, like finding the right person to do it, finding clippers that are quiet, you know, like laying down, having them distracted, doing something else. Uh, and all of those are, are great antecedent interventions, but they're always going to need to be in place because, you know, there's no reinforcement program. And so I, I think what you've done is uh, established one way of actually changing the behavior, not just, you know, creating these antecedent interventions, but you know, being able to provide a change to their behavior that hopefully can generalize to, to other settings and situations. So very cool. Thank you. And you, you touched on this already before a little bit, but what uh, further research is needed in this area? Yeah, so just the way I had originally set this up, like I said, it was for a year-long um, individualized education plan. So I think the amount of sessions that we did, although impressive, I'm not sure they were actually necessary. Uh, so it'd be really interesting to see kind of, is there like a sweet spot of the amount of time it would take for someone to put this in place? Um, so just looking at, you know, either over a shorter duration within fewer sessions, I think that would be really important to look at. I, I think uh, fewer sessions, but also like maybe more than one session per day too. That'd be right. interesting to see. Like some of these sessions were only a few seconds long and uh, especially, yeah, early on in the, in the interventions, like it seems like it might be easy to, you know, do a session and then do something else and then come back to it and do another session um, right. and, you know, be able to do 10 sessions in a single day, you know? Right. Right. Um, I think something else, too, that we didn't really do that great of a job on just because we were so familiar with the students, but really looking at like a functional analysis um, and then directly measuring challenging behavior during intervention sessions. So although I talked about it, we don't have the actual data on that type of behavior. So to just to just be really clear that the intervention was what was causing that challenging behavior to decrease or become extinct at that point. And then the other thing uh, I think would be interesting is 
our, our intervention was more of a component package. So we did have that graduated exposure hierarchy, positive reinforcement through datable reinforcement, and then even that negative reinforcement being all done with the tasks. So teasing those out more so and seeing if success could be found with fewer variables would be interesting as well. Oh yeah, that that is interesting. Yeah, I think the main the main goal with it would be something that's easy, basically, it, whether it's a parent at home, a caretaker within a group home, um, or anything of the like. You know, you you'd want something as quick and simple but effective as possible. So, I think that's where future research should should go and seeing can we get this to be you know shorter and still effective. Yeah, no, I like that and. You know, I think this was a really good starting point for this topography of behavior where it's uh, quite novel for uh, behavior analysts, at least in the research. So mm -hmm. um, very valuable research here. And I also want to know, uh, there were a couple other authors here. Um, so you were an author and then uh, James Luiselli, Jill Harper, and Andrew Schlesinger. Did I pronounce all those right? Schlesinger is Andrew's last name, but okay. otherwise, yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, and so are they, are they other behavior analysts? What were their role here in this research? Um, yeah, so, uh, Jim Lucelli actually does, um, he helps a lot with us producing research at Melmark, New England. Oh, um, cool. so once we have things up and going, he kind of really helps us write things up for publication, basically, or, or guide us along the way and, and making sure we're, we're nailing down all the points that we would need in order to put together articles like this. I think something unique about Melmark is that we do a lot of great things on a daily basis and over the course of time. However, we don't always look at it through the lens of publishing what we're doing. Yeah. Um, so he's helped significantly in, in getting us on that track. Jill Harper does does very similar stuff. She um, is more of like overseeing clinical work. Um, so she helps with all of those things. And then Andrew Schlesinger is actually in the IT department. So he helped us make the graphs. <laughs> oh, um, awesome. Which, which we were not able to figure out. And he was he was a savior when it came to those. So Oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, it, yeah. it's helpful with research to have a lot of uh, knowledgeable people helping out with it. So I'm glad you had a good team there and uh, that you could, you know, produce some meaningful work here. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yes, uh, it's, it's really our pleasure. And uh, for those of you listening at home, be sure to check out this this article in Java and make sure you listen in next time uh, to get your weekly dose of research. 